you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Matthew Ferry. Matthew Ferry is a spiritual teacher, songwriter, and best-selling author. For the last 26 years, Matthew has coached thousands of top performers to achieve enlightened prosperity. So welcome to the pod. Hey, thank you. Love love being here. I'm glad to have you. And um, one thing I like to do for all of our audiences to kind of get to know you is have you sort of walk through your story. Talk about how you got to where you are and, uh, and all the high-level stops in between. Great. Okay. Well, uh, I think my story probably starts in a much weirder way than most people's. Uh, when I was about nine years old, I was having these crazy experiences where I felt like I was floating out of my body and I didn't know what it was. I couldn't, I couldn't describe it to you. I, you couldn't talk to anybody about it, but I was experiencing these incredible states of peace and joy. And I was getting these, these intuitive hits that, um, the rules that we follow are lies. They're not real. They're not true. And of course, at nine, you don't you don't know what to do with that information. Uh, so I just kept my mouth shut. Uh, and it wasn't until I was, you know, I'd, I had gone through uh, trying to be a rock star and getting recording deals and doing it, you know, trying. I was looking for se- uh, success and money and glory, hoping that that would uh, bring the peace back. And it didn't. Uh, but it wasn't until I started working for my father, who was a personal development guru unto himself. He uh, his mentor was a man named Earl Nightingale. And then uh, my father was my mentor. So I'm really a third generation personal development guy. Uh, when I when I began to work with him, he started to turn me on to all of his mentors. And he began to share all of the back then tapes that that he would listen to, cassette tapes and books. And, and, and. there were no podcasts back then. And, and uh, only articles you were going to read were in magazines. And, and they didn't really have our, uh, magazines with ideas of... How do you how do you maximize your experience in life? So it was it was through that process that I began teaching people how to experience more joy, more peace, more flow while kicking ass and and living a great life. And uh, and really, they were hiring me to kick ass and live a great life. That was like what they hired me to do. Uh, But what I what I was able to discern is that the the dream the goal was really about getting to some experience that they wanted to have. They wanted to have this feeling like, ah, I'm okay. My family's going to be okay. We're having fun. We're spending time together. And what I found was if I could just get my go-getter clients to start doing that stuff now, then all of their projects actually flourished because they were feeling satisfaction and peace in the moment. It was pretty cool. So it's been a long journey. I'm 53 now, and I started in this uh, in this industry of helping people to become more effective human beings when I was 21 years old. Wow. So you've, you've been doing it a while, and you've you've kind of gone through, I imagine, a number of go-getters, which a lot of the people listening you know, are go-getters, and a lot of them are skeptical about these kind of things. So yeah. how did you get past that? Uh, I I was not born a skeptic. I was born an optimist. So um, uh, both are valuable. Both are effective. Um, uh, I believe that everything will work until I prove it wrong. 
And I just have always had a scientist experimenter uh, uh, do it and see what happens uh, kind of way. And, and wait, I will tell you, the personal development industry is pretty disappointing most of the time. Most of the things that people uh, wrote about, spoke about, taught or trained on, they never actually experimented with themselves. They just repeated something that somebody else said to them. Uh, or maybe they were inspired by, or maybe they had some sort of uh, experience and then they quantified and came up with some conjecture about what it was. Uh, for me, I've always been, I've always been a, uh, the crash test dummy. So my objective has always been like, do it fully, see what really happens, then start to dole it out, see what happens with other people, start to collect that data before I get out there and say, okay, this is it. Like my book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, that, that book is 15 years in the making because so many of the, the things that I attempted to get to myself to a place of peace didn't work. They just made me more annoyed, more frustrated. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> in that book, you really kind of talk about the personal development industry. And, you know, and I, I think you're right. I don't disagree with you at all on that. But talk to me about what the differences are between your approach that's been tried and proven versus some of the personal development uh, gurus that you read about now. Yeah, let's. I mean, let's just take something really, really simple. Um, one of the one of the things I had, I actually had a very big album called Energy Affirmations. I had Energy Affirmations One and Energy Affirmations Two, and it was I created high energy music with affirmations. And back in the back in the day, I was really, really committed to affirmations. But what I found was uh, the affirmations themselves created a resistance or a fight inside of me and inside of my clients. So my clients would say, you know, I'm powerful and I'm motivated and I'm inspired and I'm creative. Right? They would say these things and literally the drunk monkey would come swinging out of the jungle and say, yeah, you're, you are and you're fat and you're stupid and that guy's better than you and you're behind. And so the affirmation didn't, didn't create the result that we wanted all the way. So I won't poo poo affirmations like they don't work. That's not what I'm saying, but they don't lead to the change that we want in our behavior. The change that we want in our behavior ultimately comes down to context and sort of like this. I talk about in my book, the personal development prison, the personal development prison is this idea where Let's say I'm the CEO of a company and I, I am just noticing I have a risk aversion to hiring people that don't agree with me. And yet that's one of the most important things that I need. I need all these people around. I need people who agree with me and I need people who don't agree with me and I need to be in a good place with both of those. So maybe I do some reading and I try to learn some, some uh, ideas on bringing those people in. Well, if I don't, if I don't actually fundamentally change my context, the context meaning that we're all one thing, essentially there's some background energy and information, we call it the quantum field, we don't really know what it is, but all of these subatomic particles are self-assembling out of that field and they're making everything that we are. So we're all basically the same stuff. So if I can hold the context, we're all one thing, expressing itself, with infinite variety, I go into a state of acceptance and appreciation and suddenly I'm able to be around these people who don't agree with me. Back up, right? You asked me difference from personal development. 
most people are going to read a book. The book's going to say, well, here's the people you should hire and here's how you should think about it and blah, 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 blah. And you and you you modify you. OK, I can do that. And you try. But underneath, you still disagree with them underneath. You still think you're right underneath. You're still arrogant underneath. You're not kind. You still they still bother you. So, yeah, you've made the modification, but now you're like, okay, well, something's still wrong with me. Now you're on to the next thing. And if you don't actually go and and correct the imbalance in our thinking, then you're just constantly seeking some new way to change yourself, hoping that once you change yourself, you'll finally feel at ease. And feeling at ease is a contextual framework. It has nothing to do with what you're going to learn. So it's like a Band-Aid. Correct. Yeah. So you're, you're, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're like not you. It's like the next book, the next workshop, the next weekend retreat, the next coach, the next consultant. I mean, it's just like on and on and on and on and on. And if you don't solve the underlying illusion that you are aren't okay, if you don't solve that, then no amount of training will ever reduce the feeling that I'm not enough. Yeah, it's almost a difference between superficial training and true mindset. Yeah, one of my one of my clients um, started a a really really successful company now, uh, and back in the day, uh, I was coaching the three leaders in that company, and and we focused specifically on kindness, and we just worked everything through the idea of kindness. So it wasn't that they didn't do best practice. It wasn't that they didn't do effective marketing and get their systems dialed and make sure that they were doing the financial engineering, et cetera, et cetera. But every interaction, every hire, everything that they did was run through this framework of, are we being kind and humble and appreciative, which was what they ultimately discerned was the thing they thought they would experience once they were successful. So we just started to apply that framework now, like, Hey, I'm already here. I don't need to be any more successful to be kind, humble, and appreciative. I can do that without the success. And it, it fundamentally changed their process and they have since become one of the most successful operations on wall street. Yeah. So you act the way you want to be. Yeah, you you identify what you think long term your goals will accomplish and then you and then you begin to be that now instead of thinking that you have to change yourself or change the world to get there. Yeah, but you see, so often you see the default is I have to be there before I could act that way. Right. Whatever reason and it might be. You you'll never be successful enough to make yourself happy and I coach a lot of billionaires and I can tell you with absolute certainty, the money only made their life more complex and alienated most of the people they thought they were going to hang out with once they had all the money. Yeah. Right. The, so talk about the kindness piece of it. So they, they kind of started with kindness as the foundational piece of their business. How, how did that play out? How did that um, improve the business? It improved the business because in, instead of making hires just on the merit of the hire, they made hires that were, were people who would fit the quality of the existence that they wanted to have. So these three leaders said, we're going to be coming in here every day. We're going to devote 70, 80 hours of our life every week getting this thing going. 
what do we want to experience in that process? And these were, these were people like you and I, they were committed to having more joy, more fun, more, more enthusiasm, more energy. And, and they had like you and I tried motivation and false urgency and found that no matter how much motivation they had, it always went away. And no matter how much false urgency they created, it only created stress. Yeah. And the truth is quiet mind. Epic life is about you getting in the present moment, which means that you're free from stress. You're free from worry and concern. And that's a big deal because the American Institute of stress tells us that 73% of Americans say they deal with psychological stress on a regular basis. By the way, that was 2019. I suspect we're going to have a big jump in 2020, but this is bad news for leaders because you make bad decisions when you're stressed. You don't see things clearly. You're not easy to be around. Your creativity is diminished. Your energy is zapped. And if you're going to achieve the goals that you've set for yourself, what I, what I call living an epic life, then you want the best version of you to influence every aspect of your life. And a quiet mind helps you to get related to that now, rather than thinking something outside of you needs to change. So we, so the the kindness was that I, I was a long way of saying, and when we got there, these guys said, kind, humble, focused, experimental. Yeah. You know, that's, that's so powerful, but we live in a, we don't live in a quiet world, you know, now more than ever, we live in a noisy world. So how do you get to that quiet mind? Well, it's pretty, yeah, it, 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 it's more complex than, uh, than we have time for, but I will just uh, give a couple things from my book. So first of all, I would ask our listener to go download my free app, just my name, Matthew Ferry. And in there are 23 little six minute pep talks. Uh, they're actually recontextualizations, but one of them, for example, is to practice total and complete acceptance of every situation of every person and of yourself. Now this is, this is a lofty Mm. aspirational thing. Our mind is hardwired for survival and a quiet mind is a mind that has transcended survival. So in my forthcoming Ted talk, you're going to hear me go through the process of what does it take to actually transcend the survival mind? And one of the most important things is to acknowledge my mind is not my friend. It doesn't care about me. It's a jerk to other people. It's constantly judging everything. And all of that is perfectly suited for a situation where I am trying to survive. And my ancestors were trying to survive. I'm not. I'm running this company. And I'm here to have an amazing experience and do well and and prosper and have my investors prosper. I'm in like a thriving situation. And yet here I am experiencing frustration, anxiety, stress, anger, upset. Those are all, they all basically imply that something's wrong. Yeah. And of course, that's a contextual framework that ineffectively modifies your behavior and has you be reactive rather than inspired. Yeah. We're not being chased by saber tooth tigers every day anymore. That's right. So, so as people kind of go through that quiet mind path, you know, that is a lofty goal. Yeah. Are there, are there less lofty pieces of that, that people can put into place right now? You bet. 
Yeah, I think that some of the simple ones that you can take on is to admit that your mind is not your friend. So I call my mind the drunk monkey, and I find that um, my mind is just addicted to drinking negativity. It loves to seek out what's wrong. It loves to judge me. It judges other people. It's constantly comparing. It's telling me I'm not there yet. And, and the drunk monkey really is not your friend, but we listen to it like it is. So step one is to just admit there's this thing in my head that talks whether I want it to or not. It doesn't care about me. It doesn't care about my happiness. It cares about survival. Step two is to start to find the association underneath because the drunk monkey is actually motivated by something in our hard wiring. And I call those things the hidden motives to survive, Wade. Greed, grudge, hatred, victim, illogical rules, humble, traitor, pride. These hidden motives, if you're able to recognize them, if you can see, oh, there I go. I see. I'm afraid that there won't be enough. So I'm going into a greed state. The moment you're able to recognize that, you let it go. The moment you let it go, suddenly the meeting that you are leading becomes really fun, becomes energizing and inspiring. Because when you're leading the meeting from greed, everybody in the room, is their, their gut is twisting just a little bit. Just a tiny bit. It's kind of like, something's wrong here. Step three is to connect with enlightened perspectives. And enlightened perspectives just simply assume that all is well. And that's different because survival perspectives assume that something needs to be changed in order to be well. And of course, that's like a dog chasing its tail. You'll be dead and your to-do list will be long and you'll be thinking, I didn't get there. <laughs> right. And there is a way to actually re reassociate or recontextualize your situation. And that's number four. Number four, you recontextualize. You uh, initially you practice the skill of describing the conditions and the circumstances of your life in a way that creates an empowering relationship for you. So you're empowered by it. You have agency over your life rather than being diminished by it. And you get to choose. You know, that's such powerful stuff. And, you know, I think that everybody benefits from hearing that. But most of us have heard a different story for a long time. And I remember actually, you know, one CEO I worked for, you know, he put it very succinctly, you know, everybody is motivated by either fear or greed. It's that simple. Um, and he's, and he's right. That is, that's motivation. But you're talking about something deeper. I am. Motivation is, uh, is being provided with a motive for action mm -hmm. and it assumes you don't want to do it. So if you are trying to motivate yourself, you are creating a context based on the idea, I don't want to do this thing, but I'm going to provide myself with a motive, either some pain or some pleasure to get myself to do it. That's fine. Certain, you know, it's, that's like, that's the number one way to get things done, but there's another level. There's another, there's another stage that you can ascend to. And that is inspiration. And inspiration is more like being filled, filled with this, the, the spirit, the idea, the energy to do something. You, you're pulled rather than push. Right. And what you'll find is, is that inspiration leads to deeper states of logic. 
it removes the emotions and you know logic logic is the foundation of making great decisions and removing the emotions is imperative if you want to do great decision making emotions in general create unwanted volatility in your business and they they definitely increase the risk of you creating losses so for example i teach wall street executives and entrepreneurs and ceos to quiet their mind because it puts them into the present moment, which allows them to use logic and reason and rational thinking rather than being swept away by their emotions. And if you're using a carrot and a stick, it is guaranteed you're getting the worst of people, not the best. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Talk a little bit about urgency, you know, because that's one thing that really drives the corporate world today or the business world or maybe any world. Everything is we need it now. We need it now. And urgency is phenomenal as long as you admit it's not real. For example, I have a, a group of clients who I help do a startup and they set a goal for themselves. So they, they began by raising enough money to have two years worth of runway. Then they went out and they started to build and create their product. And they set a goal for themselves to achieve a benchmark within 90 days. And over and over and over, we had to have these conversations. They'd be like, we're not going to get there. And we're in, and we, and we're, and we suck. And I don't know what's wrong with us. And Bob didn't do it right. And John is off track. And we're right. That the urgency that they created put them into a diminished survival state. So rather than being inspired and delighted by this incredible opportunity that they were given to have two years worth of runway, they put all this pressure on themselves to get something done in 90 days and over and over and over we had to step back and release attachment so urgency is phenomenal as long as you realize it's bs you made it up it's not real and attachment is an exaggerated fear of losing an imaginary benefit. So what happens is I set this goal. I want to get it done by this time. Then my mind plays a trick on me. It says, if I don't get that goal, I'm going to lose all of these benefits. Now the motivation comes in the carrot and the stick, but my mind is, is literally making up a story. I don't know if that outcome is actually going to happen, but I fantasize about it. Then I become attached to it. So one of the great things that we do in our process, if, if you go to the back of my book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, there, and you can even just go to one of my blog posts, releasing attachment is you busting the drunk monkey and it's insanity. Your mind is wasted. It's delusional. It is drunk. It has no idea what reality even is. And when you bust its framework, suddenly you go into the present moment where all is well, you feel this incredible amount of peace, and now you want to kick ass. Now you want to go and, and make things happen. You're willing to fail. You're willing to risk. You're willing to experiment. It's a totally different place. It's so powerful when you're able to do that. And it's a practice, and it's a, it's a way in which you you go forward so you go forward inside of a set of principles and frameworks that that create the conditions for that to be present but it's not easy to do let's go back to the the original clients i was talking about if you have people in the company who are uh, based on frustration anger pride looking good 
trying to get more than what they deserve, being a victim, manipulating the people around them with their stories. If you have people in, in your, in your organization who are operating in that way, it's very difficult for you as the leader to maintain your optimal state because you're constantly being influenced by the illusion that something is wrong. Yeah, so it's feeding the drunken monkey. That drunk monkey, man, he is insidious or she will get you. So how long does it take the typical person or organization to get there? The person can get there probably in 90 days. Uh, the, the organization that's a, if we're turning an organization around, I remember, uh, doing some work with Goldman Sachs and, and it took, you know, probably five years to get, to get some of the changes that I was, uh, pushing for in this particular division to occur. Uh, but it was worth it and it was worth, and, and we just kept, we kept going back to this idea of false urgency and it's not urgent and we are making the changes and it's taking longer than we want and we don't know the future and we keep lying and pretending like we do and we're going to let that go and now that we've failed and and we definitely know these 11 ways not to accomplish the result so true so true the um what are you thinking about your biggest success story when it comes to this um talk about that a little bit a company that just really, you know, and maybe it was one you mentioned earlier, but I'm thinking about something that's just really hit a home run and they're just off and running now. And Well, I would say that, um, that the pandemic has treated one of my clients really, really well. Um, for five years, they have, uh, they have been working on a cryptocurrency fund and uh, they were the very first fund to to have uh, the you know uh, government regulations say okay you can do this uh, and no one cared and nobody invested and everybody was scared and 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 uh, and so there was in working with that CEO it really was about staying in the present moment so that he could continue to engage what inspired him in the first place and what he was excited about he wants to change the world he wants to move us off the the what in his mind what he thinks of as a broken financial system he wants to democratize and demonetize money these are the things that he's excited about and he's assembled a team of people to make that happen and for five straight years no one cared and then the pandemic hit <laughs> yeah. and suddenly the conditions were right and their attitude hadn't wavered and they weren't whining and complaining and they weren't acting out of we're losers and no one cares and we're going to fight and tell everybody that we're right and we're going to we're going to stand up and say you're like you're all dumb and you should all believe us they didn't go into any of that normal stuff that we do when we're failing instead they practiced the principles from quiet mind epic life over and 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 then all of a sudden the world changed and the wind is at their back and now everything is going gonzo yeah that's just a great story about how these principles really can you know push the company into the success it starts with the leader if, if the leader is not constantly practicing uh, acceptance, appreciation, kindness, honoring people, recognizing that we all have different perspectives, acknowledging that I don't know anything other than what I was told 
and what I've observed with my, with my senses and what I've observed with my senses are distorted by my biases and my opinions. Therefore, anything that I think is probably bullshit. If the leader doesn't actually have that in their mind, then they're going to be arrogant. They're going to be pride filled and that'll work. I mean, let's be, if we look in the, in the past, that's all we had in the past, right? It's just that we're in a different place in humanity. Now we've, we've grown up. Our world is such that the CEO doesn't need to succeed to have a great life. They don't need anything really, really. They, they want stuff. But when they can go into that state of all is well, it's absolutely extraordinary what happens. Yeah, it's amazing. We're, we're almost out of time, but any final thoughts or, uh, or wisdom that you want to leave with the audience? I think that this idea that you don't actually know anything, that everything you know, you were told by somebody else, everything you know, you observed, through your senses, which means that you observed through your biases, if you're capable of taking on that perspective, what happens is you become curious, interested. You, you go into a state of wonder and awe. And that is an absolutely mind-blowing place, fertile ground for innovation and creativity and, and galvanizing the team, just being honest that you don't know and being curious about finding out. And that when your people come to you and say, blah, 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 blah. And your brain goes, that's stupid. And I don't like that. And blah, <laughs> you just go like, hold on, wait a second. There I go again, pretending like I know everything. And opening yourself up to your people, suddenly the collaboration and the synergy is ridiculous. Yeah, that's so powerful. And, you know, there's, there's a whole other episode or two in the whole concept of we really don't know anything. You know, it's a uh, let's do it. We've we've yeah, exactly. We've been told over and over again, just different things from the time we were a child. And we just never really challenged that. And uh, I mean, I don't I don't know if this is the truth, but somebody somebody has told me in the past that by the time a a medical student gets out of uh, medical school most of what they've learned has already been proven wrong or been updated yeah <laughs> and so but for human beings that actually that that's just not how our brain works our brain locks into something right i make a decision about one of my employees then i never update it I basically say, John is a jerk. That's it. That's the end of, that's the end of that. Now, John may have been having a bad day that day, or John may have been, uh, may have just had a bad year even. Uh, and he may be in a much better place now, but my mind has concluded John's a jerk. And from a, from a, an efficiency standpoint, I hold that context. Of course it's destructive. Uh, but my arrogance won't let me let it go unless I admit, oh, Wow. I'm arrogant. I pretend like I know people, but all I know is what I've experienced of them, which means I know nothing. Yeah. You know, it's, we really do lock into our, our worldview, our beliefs and anything that goes to threaten that just runs up against this really stone wall. It really is remarkable. And there are certain executives and entrepreneurs that I run across who are brave enough to call BS on everything 
And those brave CEOs and C-suite executives, those brave entrepreneurs, they're changing the world. The world is not getting worse, Wade. By the numbers, the world is getting way better. And we may be experiencing a hiccup with this pandemic, but it is nothing more than a hiccup. The world is getting exponentially better, and it's going to take the creative rule breakers to really ride this energy into the next generation, the next level that we're all experiencing. Yeah, it really is the rule breakers that take it to the next level, the ones that are going to call BS, no doubt. Mostly on themselves. Mostly on themselves. Amen to that. Well, hey, I appreciate your time today. We, we We have to do this again. We have a lot more to explore, I think. I'm a yes. Let's do it. All right. That sounds good. We'll get you back on here and then dive into some more of these things. Um, but appreciate you coming on today. Rock on, brother. That is all for this episode. Make sure you click the subscribe button and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all those kind of things. And we'll see you next time.